Yay for the minions, right? Come on. All right. Well, we are finishing up the Beatitude section of the Sermon on the Mount, and so uh, that's why we've been playing that song, is it's, uh, it's about happy time. So we are uh, talking about blessed, blessed are those who, and then you fill in the gap, and the word blessed is uh, really equivalent to our word happy. So that's what we're talking about. Well, we have been going through our shift series. It's a sermon series on Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Okay, we've got three chapters in there, 5, 6, and 7. And uh, so far, I've been enjoying it. I hope you have too as we press into God's Word together. Today we're going to talk about something we all love to talk about, and that's persecution. Uh, Exciting times, right? We all are looking forward to walk out the doors and be persecuted. Um, No, we're not. But you know what? God still asks us to be willing to do that and actually pushes us beyond willing and asks us to go out and be persecuted. So, we're going to take a look at that and what it has to say. Now, some of the things to think about as we move forward, we're going to get to this eventually. This is at the end of chapter 7, and here's what it has to say. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, chapter 5, 6, and 7, the crowds were astonished at His teaching because He was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. They had grown up learning to the scribes and the Pharisees and those who were teaching in that day, the religious leaders, and they were saying one thing, like, be confident. Be confident in yourself. Be confident in your works. And Jesus comes on and says, no, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. The opposite. Okay, so Jesus comes onto the scene and He says a lot of things that were different. And He begins to challenge the people. And at the end, the people were astonished. They were amazed because He was one who could teach with great authority. And that's what he talks about, and that's what this verse is pointing out. So, what we're asking us to all do as we move through these portions of Scripture is ask this question of ourselves. Are there things that we're holding on to, are there things that we're hanging on to that are not biblically supported? And do we need to move from what we know to who we know, which is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and what He has to say throughout all of Scripture? So, that's what we're taking a look at. Well, here you go. The last two weeks, we've talked about the type of person that is blessed, the one who is begging for help, the one who realizes they don't have confidence in their own works, so they're asking for God to help them. The one who is broken over sin, they see the mistakes, the failures, the sin that's in their lives, and they recognize it, and they're broken over it. Okay, not just in word, but truly broken. Like, man, there's, I'm messed up, and I need help. Okay, the one who's broken over their sin. And then the gentle. So we started off talking about if you are a person who's in that position you're happy. And you might go, well, that doesn't really sound like a happy person. But really, you're on a road to happiness because you look at yourself, you reflect, and you say, I am in desperate need of the one who can make me happy, which is Jesus Christ. And then we went into the next portion, starting with verse 6, talking about the type of pursuit that is blessed. And that is one who pursues righteousness, agreeing with what God has to say is right. One who uh, pursues mercy, putting forgiveness into action, and not just speaking forgiveness, but actually living like you forgive people and care about people. One who's pure in heart or pursuing pure in heart, that we're not mixing what the world has to say and what God has to say and trying to marry in the two, but we're really just listening to what God has to say, and we're pure, we're not contaminated. And then peace with others. We're pursuing peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're also trying to help those who are outside the body of Christ, those who have not known Jesus Christ, we're trying to help them have peace with God. 
So those are the types of things we ought to be pursuing. And today, as we continue to move through this first portion in chapter 5, we're going to talk about the type of passion that is blessed. Type of passion. If you're unfamiliar with the word passion, it's an intense desire for enthusiasm for something. A tense desire or enthusiasm for something. Hopefully, somewhere along the way, you've had a sense of passion for something in life, right? And you may be thinking there might be things that pop into your mind, like, hey, this is what I'm passionate about in life, or this is what I'm passionate about, and you've got all kinds of things that could be popping in your head. And so what I want to ask this question is, are you passionate about Christ and for Christ? That's the challenge I think we have as we move forward this morning. So here's the question. Well, here's the big idea. We're happy because we listen to Jesus and not the world. What Jesus has to tell us, He tells us what we should be passionate about. He tells us what we should care about. The world's going to have its ideas, and it's going to tell us what we should be passionate about. But we need to be listening to Jesus and what He has to say. So the question is, do I have a greater passion to please people or Jesus? Would you say you're more of a people pleaser or a Jesus pleaser? What drives you? What's your passion? And then, of course, the question that really comes along with that, which path will bring long-lasting happiness? Now we're in church. Of course, you're going to be like, well, I know what the answer is, right, Pastor Ryan? I'm supposed to pursue Jesus. But oftentimes we live like the things of this world are going to give us passion and give us happiness, and fulfill our desires, and those types of things. But we need to be listening to what Jesus has to say. And that's what He came to say. When He went, He took His disciples up on the hillside, and He says, here guys, this is what you've heard. This is what you've been told all your life will bring you happiness. I'm going to tell you something completely different. Blessed are the poor in spirit, He starts off with. They're like, what? Blessed are those who mourn and weep. They're like, "Um, that doesn't sound like a happy person. But Jesus gets them ready for what He's going to tell them as He moves forward into this message, and that is you need to continue to press into God and pursue Him, and that's where you find happiness. That's where you find that joy. But you need to know, if you didn't already know this, that the world doesn't agree with that. And the world's going to sell you on a lot of other things that will bring you some kind of temporary happiness in life. So people pleasers typically are fueled by insecurity. That's one, right? We're insecure, and so we begin to see other people around us, and we think to ourselves, hey, I'll start to please that person, and that will help me feel better about myself if they like me. So there's insecurity. Then there's the fear of rejection. We'll sometimes be fueled to, to care for, please people, because we don't want to be rejected by them. If we say the wrong thing, they might push us away and and so we're fueled by rejection, or we might even be fueled by worldly success. Oh, if I make that person happy, I might move up the corporate ladder, or I might get that next promotion, or something like that. So we're fueled by success in this world, or we might be fueled by worldly gain. If I'm that person's friend, maybe I'll get something in return. James talks about that. He talks about the rich person who comes into the church, and people are like all excited. Oh, hey, come on over here, rich guy, you know. Why? Because they thought they might get something back. And uh, James lays into him pretty hard and says, that's not the right way to treat people. We've got to love of all people, rich or poor, Greek, Gentile, all of them. So people pleasing is often fueled by one of those things, maybe many more. But let's take a look at what 
fuels those who are trying to please Jesus. One, confidence in Jesus. Philippians 1, 6 talks about how He who began a good work in us will continue it on. We have confidence in that, that God has a plan for us. And when circumstances start to come our way, whether it be persecution or it's just a bad day, we shouldn't be moping and, you know, going around, oh, man, we start that way. And then we start to verbalize and we start to say, God, why is this happening? And then we start to even go say, God, why did you do this to me? Are we confident that God allows things into our lives because He's molding and shaping us to be more like Him? We should be. He told us He is working in us. He's shaping and molding us to be more like Him. And we should be confident that those things that come into our lives, well, they're there to help us and shape us, refine us. But we've got to persevere through them. So we should be fueled by that confidence. I have confidence that Christ is going to be working in me. We should be fueled by worship and obedience. Romans 12 talks about that, how when we obey, we're worshiping God. And we ought to be doing that and saying, God says this, okay, I'll do this. I don't always understand why, but I'll do it because God says so. And I trust that what He says is good and right and just, and I'll follow Him, even if it doesn't make sense. And then Romans 10, 14, it challenges us this way. It says, how will people hear if nobody goes and gives them the gospel? We ought to be fueled by a need that people have for Jesus Christ. The world needs to hear the gospel. And that ought to give us some kind of passion, like, hey, my neighbor down the road, he doesn't know Jesus. My coworker doesn't know Jesus. My sibling or a cousin or a parent doesn't know Jesus. What am I doing to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? We ought to be fueled by people's need for Jesus and be pleasing Him this way. So let me ask again, do you have a greater passion, do I have a greater passion to please the people around me or Jesus? That's what we want to wrestle with as we move forward. And here's the reason why. And as we talk about persecution, we need to understand one of the reasons why we don't put our necks out there or step into situations where we might be persecuted is because we're afraid of maybe upsetting someone. Maybe we're afraid of what they might say about us. And that's the type of persecution we face in the U.S., right? I don't think any of us are afraid of going to jail for our faith or being killed, though we are afraid about how they might hurt us with words. So do we care more about what people think or do we care more about what Jesus thinks? Matthew 5, we're going to start with verse 9, and I'll explain why as we move forward. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted now because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say all every kind of evil against you because of me. So be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into your word this morning, teach us, guide us. These are some tough things. We don't like persecution. But if that's your desire and that's your will to shape and mold and make us, and if that's where true happiness is really found, 
But Lord, we want to put ourselves out there. Pull ourselves out of the comfort zone and step into the unknown and say, here we are. Use us. Even if we might get hurt in the process. Help us understand what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go back to verse 9. We talked about this last week. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. A person who's making peace. Now, there's two ways which we can make peace. We talked about making peace in Scripture. And that is, one, within the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to make peace with one another. Live at peace with one another. Now, hopefully that doesn't draw too much persecution. Okay? But the next one can. And that is we're called to go out and share the gospel with Jesus Christ so that people who are unbelievers and don't know Christ can have peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the message that we want to give to people and we want to say, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. You can have peace with Almighty God who created you. And so we give them that gospel. Now it can be received with a arms open wide and people are excited about it, and yes, I want that peace, or it can be rejected. And if it's rejected, often it's followed by some type of persecution. Peacemaking doesn't always end in peace, right? Sometimes, in this case, it might end in hurtful words, a loss of a friend, being made fun of, or something along those lines. So I remember in sixth grade, I had a friend who I'd been praying for for quite a while, and I, I decided, hey, it's time for me to share. So I probably didn't pick the best time. I was like, it was during um, recess, you know, everybody's favorite time. And I'm like, hey, his name is Jeff. I said, hey, Jeff, um, I got something to share with you. And I was nervous because we were talking about it at church, about how we're supposed to share about our faith, right? So I go out, and, and I start to share with him about Jesus and what Jesus had done for him, how he died upon the cross, and how he needed to, to believe in Jesus, or he's going to go to hell. And, you know, and I'm just like laying it all out there at you know, recess time, and all he's probably thinking about is like, I just want to go play, right? So I get done with all that, and, uh, and he didn't make a profession of faith at all. He, he was, I think, probably taken back a little bit by this whole ordeal. And so I go to find out from another friend that he went and talked to him about what I had done. And basically, the way Jeff took it was, Ryan thinks I'm going to hell. And, uh, and I don't know if, if our relationship was hurt after that. It seemed like it never maybe had... had uh, gone well after that. However, I have found that recently, well, not recently now, it's been about 10 years, Jeff has accepted Christ as a Savior. So that was pretty cool just to be part of that. I don't know if that was a seed planted, but I know that there was some, some persecution. It wasn't terrible persecution, but I think he was kind of making fun of me with my friends. So that happens, right? That happens when we share our faith. Peacemaking doesn't always end in peace, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And God asks us to go out and share our faith with people. Reasons Christians are not liked, I went out and just tried to do some, some searching online as to why Christians are not liked today. Here's some of the things I found. One, Christians are too political. I think you can see that. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we make Christianity about politics. It shouldn't be. I understand that there's there's some, some moral things that we should be making decisions on and that type of thing. I get that. But you know what? God didn't come to reform our country. 
He came to give the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Now, it should affect the way we vote, absolutely, but, but we're not trying to pull it, push a political agenda. But Christians have a reputation for that. Christians have a, rep, a reputation for just wanting people's money. That's certainly the church. You hear that quite a bit, oh, I don't want to go to church because at church, they always take those offerings and they pass the offerings around. I always feel bad because I can't, you know, and they're like, it's all about money. Well, certainly money is necessary for the church to keep doing like what we're doing here. But that's not what it's all about. And hopefully that's not the message you hear. You might hear from time to time like, guys, our, um, our offering's getting a little low or things like that just because, you know, that happens. But we're not about the money. We're about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. At least that's what I hope people hear. We're too judgmental. You hear that quite a bit. Uh, oftentimes people will say John 3.16 is the most quoted verse out of the Bible. I tend to disagree. I think Matthew 7.1 is the most quoted verse where it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. You probably hear that one more today in our culture. Um, people will say that. You're so judgmental as Christians. You have all these rules, and you say we're not good enough, and blah, blah, blah. And so we get that type of, of reputation. We have bad or no character. You've heard it somewhere along the way that we are hypocrites, right? You Christians are hypocrites. You say one thing, and you live another way, and so we're accused of having bad or no character. We are immoral. Turn on TV. Somewhere along the way, in this year, I'm sure somewhere along the way, you'll see a priest or a pastor or somebody in leadership who has been accused of some sort of sexual immorality. Yeah. You'll see that. So Christians are therefore all immoral. We defend injustice, and we don't stand for justice. When injustice happens, we'll, we'll go to, to fight it. Just recently, you've heard uh, more and more about the abortion issue, and one of the things that comes up quite often in that issue is, how come Christians don't defend the young lady who was raped and has a child in their womb? That's injustice to say that they shouldn't abort. That's a tricky situation, right? The hard part is that's like less than 1% of abortions. We're talking about the 99% of abortions that are happening out there. Now, I think it's very true, and we need to plead the case that once a life is started, which happens in the womb, if you let go of it, what happens? If you let it go, it goes to birth and continues on until natural death. So you know as soon as it starts that to end it is killing off something, right? But people will say that's injustice for the person who's who's maybe been raped. So we defend um, injustice that sometimes get twisted. We don't stand for justice in various ways. And so all kinds of things get said about Christians and what our view is. By the way, just on that note, I think one thing that persecutions can, or Christians can be persecuted on is this statement. God loves both the child in the womb, and the mother carrying the child. And we need to remember that. And that can draw persecution from both sides, right? Because the one who says that God loves the mother as much as the child can be ridiculed or persecuted by the pro-life movement because how would God love a mother who would abort a child? Well, God loves the sinners. It's pretty clear. 
God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were sin, sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. But he also loves the child in the womb. He says he knit them together. He put them together. It's a child. It's real. It's live. And he loves them too. God loves both in that case. So I talk about that because I know it's a hot topic. It's continued to be a hot topic the last couple of weeks throughout social media. And by all means, if you have questions about that or maybe you're hurt, maybe you've heard somebody has gone through an abortion, have a friend who has, or maybe you yourself have, then by all means, I ask you to talk to somebody. We're not here to condemn that act. We're here to show you forgiveness in Christ if that's happened. Um, But anyhow, those are some thoughts on that hot topic and how Christians may be persecuted on taking a stand. So we go to verse 10. Hey, we're going to be persecuted. Those are some of the ways that we are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because we're agreeing that God is right in what He has to say. We agree with that. He goes, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I take that in a broad, in a general sense, that the kingdom of heaven, where God is, His presence is. In eternity, we have the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus later on prays for that kingdom to, to come and visit, like, God, come here. And He does. He comes in the Holy Spirit later on. He says, here I am. And we become then the temple of God. And you and I, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. That presence is there. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because of righteousness. And that's the key right there, because. Not just blessed are those who think they're persecuted, but blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We can go through all kinds of bad days and think, oh, I'm being persecuted. But if it's not because we've made the right choice, because we're not following God, that's not persecution. That's just having a bad day, right? There is a difference there. Persecution is the result of living out a righteous life. Expect persecution for agreeing with God. God expects it. I think we should too. And we're going to see that. He has a couple of verses for us. But before, let's look at persecution in the U.S. and what it looks like. The first one is intellectual. Now, when you go to the Bible, you'll see a lot of persecution happening in the early church. And oftentimes, it's a physical persecution. It might be thrown into jail or prison um, it'll be maybe killed, murdered, uh, beaten, and then released. There's definitely a physical persecution. Many of us are not afraid of that here in the U.S. Like, we're not afraid that, you know, the cops are going to show up right now and arrest us for meeting together. There are places in our, in our world where they are fearful of that. But we're not fearful of that here. So what do we face? Well, we face an intellectual persecution, Richard Dawkins, he said this a while ago. This is a quote. He said, Jesus was a great moral teacher. Somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist if he had known what we know today. Okay? So what he's claiming now is, you know, here we are 2,000 years later. We've got a little more information about the world and how it was evolved and so forth. And so, therefore, if Jesus knew what we knew today, he would have denied himself, apparently, denied that he was and is God, and would become an atheist. Well, we know how foolish that sounds to us, and Richard Dawkins knows how foolish that sounds to us. This was just a way to persecute us and say, you Christians are dummies, All right? By the way, just a quick thought for you. When it comes to science, one thing we need to remember, science and Christianity or science and the Bible are not at odds with each other. 
I think sometimes we do that, like, oh, I believe in science, or I believe in God. Um, But that's not the way it works. There are scientists who use science to support their thoughts and theories on evolution and Big Bang Theory. There are also Christians out there that use science to support what the Bible has to say. Science itself is not opposed, even though you'll hear this in the world, science is against the Bible. That's not true. Science can be used to confirm what the Bible has to say. So make that clear. It's the scientists, some scientists, and not all scientists. Sometimes we do that too, right? We'll lump all scientists together. Some scientists use science to support their theories of evolution and the Big Bang Theory. So here he says, Richard Dawkins, intellectually, Christians are idiots in a way. But we also know that our character will be persecuted at times. We will be told we're hypocrites and things like that. Here's what Gandhi had to say. Uh, Famously, he's been recorded as saying this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And he's saying that about our character as Christians. Like, look at what Jesus did. He was awesome. He was good. He was loving. He was kind. He said everything perfect all the time. You Christians are messed up. We are, right? We're trying to be like Christ, and we're not perfect. So here's how this happens, because you'll, you'll run across this. If you haven't already, you'll run across this at some point in your life. Maybe at work, you'll mess up. Uh, somebody will find out that you're not perfect, and they'll They'll make fun a little bit, like, oh, aren't you a Christian? Don't you go to church? And you did that? You must be a hypocrite. What do you say in a situation like that? Well, if it's true, first thing is own it. You know what? I did make a mistake. And you know what? Jesus isn't happy that I made that mistake. But here's the thing. He forgives me. Because I come to him and I admit it and I own it and I ask him to forgive me. And now you've just opened up an opportunity to share the gospel. Right? That's the way we ought to approach it. Or if we've offended somebody, if we've hurt somebody, go and apologize to that person. That, the world doesn't do that, does it? Imagine putting yourself in a situation. You, you hurt somebody, you did something, you stepped on somebody's toes, and you realize it later, and you go to that person, you say, you know what, I, I did that, and it was wrong, and I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry. Well, that's going to speak volumes to that person, or it should. That's what a Christian attitude is like. We're not perfect, but we're trying to be like Christ. And we need to own it if we fail, when we make mistakes. But we'll also be persecuted in the U.S. in our employment, in business. Uh, you do hear about this. You do see about this. Somebody who has a job and they just haven't been able to, to be promoted because they found out they are a Christian. And people are like, oh, I'm going to keep them down and elevate somebody above them. You see, in business, it's not uncommon anymore to, to open up a, a paper and see in there, hey, this Christian business refused to give services to a, a homosexual marriage or something like that. And because of that, a community of people came around that business and they started picketing and they kept people from going into that business and eventually that business had to shut down. That's happening, right? That does take place for people who are believing that they're doing the right thing. Persecution does take place in various forms like this, and there are many others. Maybe you know of some as well. 
But those are the three that I was thinking of as I was going through this week. Well, what does God have to say about persecution even more in First Peter 3, which we just studied together this last year? Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, because it will happen, you are blessed. So there he says the same thing Jesus says in Matthew 5. You are blessed for it. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. Give it to people. Psalm 42, 9 through 11 says, I will say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where is your God? You heard that? People will see what we're going through. Where's your God? Do you believe he's there? He goes on, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in that circumstance. Don't put your hope in the world. Put your hope in God. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. The last two verses here. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. And you might say, how can you be glad and rejoice in that situation? People are insulting you. They're saying false things about you. They're doing that because they're trying to lower us as Christians and exalt themselves. They'll come up with lies to say about us. He says, be glad in those times. And he tells us why. He says, because our reward is great in heaven. Now, I think there's times where we start to look at the word reward. What does that mean? And people say, well, there's crowns. And the Bible does talk about crowns. And it talks about jewels and things like that that we might receive. I don't know. I do know this. I think when we get to heaven, material possessions won't mean what they mean to us here. Now, we won't be too excited about a crown. We're going to be excited about seeing Jesus. And we're going to be excited about this, too. We're going to be excited about seeing people that we've had the opportunity to share the gospel with. Think about that. I might even be able to go up to Jeff and say, hey, Jeff, you remember that time in sixth grade we went out there and... I told you you were going to hell. And isn't that cool you're not? You know, like, right? We might have those kind of opportunities. That is a reward. That's a far greater reward than a crown. Those are the things we have to look forward to. The people who we've poured into and we've, we've walked through and we've said there's opposition and I'm afraid to walk through, but yet there's something so great about sharing the gospel with them and seeing their eyes sparkle and they come to life. It's a reward here, but it's going to be even a greater reward in heaven. So press through the persecution. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're not alone in it. It's been going on for many years. So here's a thought. I think this is what he's telling us. We need to celebrate our persecution for Jesus. We usually don't do that very much, do we? Oh, man, the guy at work, he doesn't like me anymore. I lost my friend. But there is celebration. One, we can let insults confirm our faith and not destroy it. When you're persecuted, when insults are thrown at you, hurled at you, you can say, you know what, that's because I'm living out my faith for Jesus Christ. It might hurt, it might sting a little bit. But let it actually confirm your faith rather than destroy it. Let false comments fuel your passion. We need some passion, right? We need to be stirred up. 
When people say things about us that are false and aren't true, let that be a passion. Like, I'm going to prove them wrong. They lied about me. Yeah, maybe we can't prove them wrong, but we can sure try. People might say false things about us all the time, but we need to press in to following Christ, loving Christ, and loving other people. Even if people say mean things about us. And we need to choose joy in the face of fear. Not sorrow, not mourning, but joy. How does that happen? There's a great illustration of that. Acts chapter 5, the apostles, they... uh, they were arrested. They were brought before the council. The council's trying to figure out what to do with them. Should we throw them into prison, keep them there? What, what do we do? And so they decided to beat them instead, hoping that that would keep them from spreading the gospel. So we read in 540, after they called in the apostles and had them flogged, which is whipped up to 39 times. It's not like a bad job, you guys. Go home. This is like a whip across the back. It would draw blood. They would beat them, flogged them, and and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing. They had joy. Why? Because they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. They were crazy. At least that's the way we look at it at first, right? Crazy. But look what else they did. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They rejoiced and they continued to preach the gospel. Persecution comes, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts bad. But we need to keep moving forward for Jesus. Ultimately, we're happy. We're blessed because we listen to Jesus and not the world. The world's going to tell us not to follow Christ. The world's going to tell us to turn to other things, to find temporary joy and satisfaction in other things. But we need to find joy and satisfaction in Christ. The type of passion that is blessed is the type that is pursuing righteousness in the face of fear. And it's the type of passion that is pursuing Jesus through great opposition. We're going to be afraid at times, absolutely. That's why we, we go out there together. That's why we have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who will help us and encourage us to go out into the world and share the gospel with people. It could be scary, but it's worth it. We could pursue Jesus through great opposition. There will be opposition. Not only is there opposition on the face of this earth and there are people that will oppose us, but Satan doesn't want us to move forward. I can almost guarantee it. When, when a person's baptized, I will get a call or a text from that person that week that says, man, this week's been tough because Satan's there. I can almost guarantee you when somebody says, man, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, that next week's going to be tough. Because opposition's there. I can guarantee you when somebody says, man, this circumstance has happened in my life and it's caused me to renew my faith and I'm going to come to church this Sunday and I'm going to get connected to all these different things, that next week is probably going to be hard because there's opposition. We are opposed by the world and by Satan. So be ready for it because moving through it Persevering through it is a great reward. So back to that question. Do I have a greater passion to please the people around me or Jesus? How would you answer that question? Challenge to respond. We want to throw this out there and give you a chance to think about it before we move into communion. We're going to take communion today. And really, I want you to hope and encourage you as we take communion that it's reflective. So we purposely put it at the end because I think we have some things to reflect on. 
what am I doing? Am I trying to live a comfortable life? Am I trying to live a life where I'm just going through and making it as easy as I can so I can get to heaven? Or am I actually stepping out of my comfort zone, pursuing Christ, putting myself out there, knowing that I could be persecuted? Am I passionately following God? We have time to reflect, and so we'll do that as we take communion together. But think about this. Here's one question. Sometimes I like to put it in different terms so I can process it better. If Jesus rated your passion, if Jesus rated my passion for him on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being really bad, 10 being awesome, where would you fall? Where would I fall? I mean, this is Jesus rating us, okay? Not, not you. If you were to ask Jesus, what do you think he would say? Where's your passion for him? So you can think about that for a little bit. And then this one is more of a homework for you. If you want, you can snap a picture of it if you'd like. But uh, read John 3, 1 through 21. It says, um, or I'm challenging you to do this. This week, take time to reflect on this question. As you read through that portion of Scripture, are you living in the light? Jesus challenges us to live in the light as you come to the verses 20 and 21. So as you read through that, and it talks about Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the dark because he was afraid. When you get to verse 20 and 21, he challenges us to live in the light. Are you living in the light? And are you pursuing Christ in the light? Take some time to read through that passage and reflect on those questions. So we're going to uh, transition. We'll give you a few uh, minutes here, a couple minutes to, to think through those things, and then we'll transition to worship and communion together.